Hello there. Hello. <laughs> I'm Orla McGillis. And I'm Ricardo Deacon. And you're listening to The Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch it and then we meet to discuss it. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. It is Monday. Uh, but really, it's Saturday. Happy Saturday, Ricardo. Happy Saturday, Orla. What a year is this? <laughs> happy New Year also. This is our first uh, record of 2020. Yeah, happy Christmas to everybody as well. Did <laughs> Who you are think, late uh, for that. <laughs> did you think we'd make it this far? What, uh, it's been three years almost, is it? Uh, yeah, because it was 2016 we started. It was the end of 2016. Jesus. Mm. A few old. Back in those days. we are old. <laughs> Uh, well, this week's film was picked by Ricardo. It is Kiki's Delivery Service from 1989. Yes. Um, joining the pantheon of very few 1990s movies that we've done. I feel like you've been wanting to pick this for a while. I don't know. I feel like this has been in your head. Yeah, like I've been talking about Kiki's Delivery Service every time that we <laughs> talk about Miyazaki or animation or growing up or yes, <laughs> any number of things coming of age films um well the what looks to be informative synopsis is in this anime feature 13 year old kiki moves to a seaside town with her talking cat gigi to spend a year around around to spend a year alone in accordance with her village's tradition for witches in training after learning to control her broomstick, Kiki sets up a flying courier service and soon becomes a fixture in the community. But when the insecure young witch begins questioning herself and losing her magic abilities, she must overcome her self-doubt to get her powers back. I mean, that was pretty good. The film was directed by Hayao Miyazaki, produced by Hay- Hayao? Hayao? Hayao, yeah. Hay- Hayao Miyazaki, produced by Hayao Miyazaki, screenplay by Hayao Miyazaki, Based on Kiki's Delivery Service by Iko Kadono, starring Minami Takayama, Rei Sakuma, Kapi Yamaguchi, music by Joe Hisashi, cinematography by Shigeo Sugimura, and edited by Takeshi Sayama. Amazing, Orla. Okay, All so in there's, one only, <laughs> there's only one problem. I watched the dubbed version. Okay. Uh, I... <laughs> I as far as this. I know, there's not a massive difference, though, so I think it's okay. Uh, there isn't, I, as far as I know, with this, uh, the, the, the latest release of the movie, but uh, famously, so many of Miyazaki's early dubs, uh, they would actually bring down the, uh, the entire mix to fit the dub. So you, you wouldn't get the, the breadth of the sound design as oh. much as other movies. Uh, as like the original Japanese I strangely mm-hmm. watched the half the dubbed version and half the Japanese version just in case I could cover all my bases okay. instead of asking you the which reason, version you're watching the, the reason I watched the dubbed one was uh, well when I went to download it it was the one you, that appeared you, you um, were just hoping for Werner Herzog to pop in is that uh, it? that's always what I'm hoping for in life, in film <laughs> in poetry um yeah and then i saw it with kirsten dunst and i was like very very young kirsten dunst and i kind of have a soft spot for young kirsten dunst because she's in kirsten kirsten uh because she's amy in the 1994 little women and i kind of love her voice so i was like i'll put it on and if it's egregious i'll turn it off and i ended up i was like no this is actually a pretty good version of this so i and then i looked it up and i was like okay it's not they haven't like viciously changed anything i had the new blu-ray version of it it was like all fine so yeah so uh, <laughs> after all that preamble this week's felt was picked by ricardo. ricardo it was indeed you finally got there uh yes why did you pick this film well like uh for one the the major delay was part of I, I suppose for all the films that I've chosen there are repeat offender directors, let's say, mm. that uh, you always want the, a fair substantial gap between picks because this is not like a John Ford podcast or a Hayao Miyazaki podcast. So, uh, And also I was just trying to, to fit it somewhere in mm. the... That would Catalog. make sense in the flow of 
choices and then I just decided after the paper I wanted to watch something pleasant <laughs> and you hated that film. <laughs> and also it's like a, a, in a way it was a two Japanese picks back to back for me because it's mm-hmm. uh, Shin Godzilla was my last pick uh, and it was a case of like be able to compare modern filmmaking mm-hmm. Japanese uh, filmmaking and the ideas that like both of them are what you would expect from a Western audience uh, at the same time different than what you would expect if you're coming in cold that this is an anime but it's completely different to what most Americans idea of anime is you know there's no fighting yeah. giant robots even though there's like a spaceship or something well um, Shin Godzilla it's a, it is still a giant monster movie but it's so yes. much more than that um, but when it comes to Kiki's Delivery Service I think that it's a movie that I truly love watching uh, I love just hanging out in that world it is like a the uh, be up there in the fictitious cities that I most like to visit, you know. Uh, <laughs> What's um, the name of the city, actually? I think it remains nameless. Uh, mm. That is just like the city by the bay or by the yeah. sea. But the whole thing that, depending where you see the the city from, it's like Germanic and French yeah. and Japanese. It's very European. It's hilarious. <laughs> but also very Japanese at the same time. It, yeah. it manages to create like an ideal and perfect existence of all these different like even the 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 small detail on the cars are driving in the right opposite to uh the japanese way because in japan they drive on the left the same as ireland and the uk Mm. so even little details like that uh like Japan I think is the only country that didn't used to be a British colony that drives on the left Mm. Uh, I can't quite remember why that is but that's the facts that I know that's the facts just the facts ma'am but uh, I remember the Bokiki's delivery service while watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that it's (laughs) uh, (laughs) what? (laughs) Because it, both are extremely plotless movies. They're just hangout movies, but they, they're they both, in a way, inspired by another movie that we've watched, which is Rio Bravo, because that was the original hangout movie that they, you just stick a plot on it so you can have the characters <laughs> hang out, basically, just talk how, together. I don't know how you managed to draw a line between all those things, but I'm enjoying it. But they are like a... Like a uh, Quentin Tarantino mentioned uh, Rio Bravo as an inspiration for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because mm. it is a hangout movie. Uh, well, when it comes to Kiki's delivery service, it is the definition of that as well. There's like literally no plot to the movie besides she moves away. Like the the entire synopsis that you read is the plot of the mm-hmm. movie, and it's just episodic in a way without being episodic because there is actual growth and mm. like uh, a thrill line between events but so I much of it you, is I'm sorry I think you can be because I'm just thinking of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I don't know what you thought about that film but I find it kind of broadly unmemorable I enjoyed myself while I was there afterwards I was like Meh. And I think sometimes you can say it's like s- describing something as a hangout movie I don't know I've sort of like brings up negative connotations and I don't really know why because there are plenty of like hangout movies that are incredibly poignant and stick with you afterwards just because there's no like you know plot or whatever but um it's just funny like this I I get what you mean about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but yeah I remember being so underwhelmed after I came out of that film but I don't know I liked it. Uh, I quite liked it, but I don't think that I liked it as much as other friends of ours liked it. I remember name going names. to name names. A- Emmett, Tom, and Oshin. I remember going for drinks <laughs> right after the movie and still processing it. And they were like, "Oh, it's the best Tarantino," and I was like, oh, "It's Whoa. good. Uh, <laughs> I-, I I liked it, but uh, I wouldn't go that far, you know. Like stall the tractor there." <laughs> Um, Shout out to Tom though um, As in Tom who sent us Our one and only piece of correspondence About uh, The Wind Rises 
Yeah, so that's... Yeah, uh, there you go. But yeah, like, I, I absolutely love this movie. I think that it's... Uh, when did I watch it? Uh, I watched it uh, right after, like, uh, watching uh, something... I can't remember what, what film, but something that was quite distressing as a picture. And then sat down to watch uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, and it just overpower me with its warmth and love for people at this time i've seen it uh, uh, many times i i think that uh, uh, where it sits also in miyazaki's filmography is quite interesting but when i watched it initially uh, uh, i was i think 20 or around that age and i was going through miyazaki's entirely entire filmography uh, this uh, I back lit- when we had time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and this one I just watched because it was on the list. Because from the posters and plot descriptions, it sounded incredibly boring. <laughs> and I, like, you know, I was also 20, so it's like. I didn't really fucking give a shit about coming of age <laughs> stories about girls and stuff. But then, like, perhaps I did give a shit, but perhaps not, like, overtly that I would chase those movies or those books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember you at 20. You weren't yeah. the, <laughs> no, and you I still... the Tarantino bro that you're describing there. <laughs> yeah, and I still absolutely love this movie. Uh, it, like I said, it doesn't really jump out at his. Uh, like if you had the posters and the plot lines of all his movies like side by side, you'd probably be drawn to something more bombastic and more interesting. Mm. Even the, like The Wind Rises is not particularly like heavy as it is, but uh, it it's seems interesting the mixture of history and yeah. fiction, etc. Well, this is like a lot more straightforward, but it still re- it still has as much depth as his other work. It's kind of incredible that he's able to use this world that he's. Uh, I know he it's inspired by uh, a, a novel, but I don't know how much of it comes from the novel. But it seems mm. a world completely handmade by Miyazaki, and. Uh, even if it is, if it is uh, uh, a case that it is completely faithful to the source material, is a perfect case of an author uh, as a filmmaker and material that completely marries together to provide you with the correct tone and correct imagery to to carry it along. Like I think from the beginning of the movie, like like any Miyazaki so much of it is carried by the amazing sound design that every mm. little thing has its particular sound uh, everything is like brought up in the mix there's nothing in the background almost and it, it's amazing it's like very it, rich it, yeah there is it's a dense world of sound and also the music is always great like that it's both memorable but also whenever you're watching it doesn't overpower the emotions you're getting the emotions from the mm. incredibly tactile world that he creates like the it's the little details of balancing and and you know like it, it, it's it reminds me of the Max Fleischer's Superman cartoons of the 40s that they actually would like they invented the rotoscoping for it and I know <laughs> that wrong. this is not rotoscoped but there's yeah. a scene in one of the Superman cartoons that Superman lands and then has to take off again. And he actually pushes himself off the wall. So he puts his foot down and pushes himself. And being a cartoon, he doesn't need to do that. You can like just make him fly out. But it gives the world a certain level Texture. of weight. Yeah. Which a lot of cartoons, especially like fucking Japanese animes, when like robots are fighting each other, it doesn't feel big. <coughs> Well, here, whenever, like, there's something big, like, the dirigible, it feels huge, you know? Mm. And also, uh, uh, shout out again to a YouTube channel that I've uh, given a few shout outs over the years. Uh, the Royal Ocean Film Society oh. has uh, uh episode on uh, Miyazaki's obsession with flying machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really interesting that even the fact that 
uh, Miyazaki finds the time in most of his films to have his characters just look at the sky and so few films also the the color of the sky and the water in this movie like I wish the world had the color palette of a Miyazaki movie like the greens and the blues and everything but I think what you said about movies that are hangout movies that are not incredibly memorable I think the Kiki's delivery service is incredibly memorable like every encounter I remember every character I remember I love them all it's such a humanist movie there's no villains or threat or anything that the only thing that came to be in a sense well like there's even whenever they're like uh, the film's slightly pissy about some of the characters especially posh people uh, which I really appreciated uh, there's still only young posh people yeah, fuck you w- grandma yeah <laughs> How dare she? Like, but in fairness, the fucking herring pie sounds disgusting. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, get get with the times. <laughs> and, and I I do like herring, but you know, fucking a Not whole a pie of it. Form, yeah, though I don't know. Although in saying that, I've definitely had like, hmm. like I love fish, but I'm not a big fan of fish pies per se. You know, like I I just like a Carter fish. Digging. Not a fish pie fan. Yeah. <laughs> that I could run for election on, on that fucking motto. It's a stronger platform than most of the people going up this month. <laughs> Housing. Yeah. Yeah. Herring pies for everyone. You you can have your big block of cheese day, but it'll be a big giant herring pie day. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Disgusting. Imagine that. Just the smell of it. But yeah, like... Uh, I absolutely love this movie and I just wanted like uh, I know that you like Sabrina as well so it's like this is like precursor to Sabrina <laughs> with like talky pissy cat like and everything <laughs> so um, and yeah like uh, I just wanted to see what you, you thought of the movie so uh, without further ado what did you think of Kiki's delivery service Orla first of all explain to me how this is a 1980s movie because <laughs> I was watching this and I was like thematically animation wise female character wise it's like this is not 1989 <laughs> I, was like, I was watching it and I was like trying to like appearing at it trying to like eke out 1989 from this movie like it's like obviously there are parts of the animation that you know like I like pick the animation like it doesn't always age well and there are certain things but I mean even just down to how Gigi sweats and like shakes and stuff like it's beautiful and it's kind of the whole combination of things that made it feel a little bit like is this really 1989 or I mean like it it just it feels so like like it was so ahead of its time that it almost feels a little bit unbelievable and I know that like I like prescient in a way prescient it's just like we talk a lot about like female coming of age movies and stuff and you know we've done a good few of them and most of them have been from the last like 10, 15, 20 years and we talk about them from like oh it's 2005 or whatever wow look how forward thinking this movie with like a female star is and this is 1989 like it's quite impressive I was trying to think of other films that we'd done that had a similar not similar theme of like uh, female coming of age but more like films that felt not even just like as massive inspirations or as like films that are fully formed right out of the gate I know this is not his first movie but it's early enough in his career but like how everything of Miyazaki is in this movie already you know like it's 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 such a beautiful like package of his like themes and tropes and the world building and stuff but yeah I was trying to think of like other movies that felt so ahead of their time and I couldn't really think of any but it's such a like it feels like time travel or something sometimes when you're kind of like like, yeah. Where am I? It's. I think. I know. It's bit, part of it is because he's creating a like strange mix of like. Because when I was when she first lands on the city, and I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, Austria. Like, it's so strange. What you're saying, like. Yeah, uh, but the cops are dressed like French street policemen really, as well. But then sometimes it feels almost like because there's like steep hills, so it feels kind of like prison. But then. 
it's so it's it's odd like there were bits of it that made me think of Oslo like it was really really strange but like in a great way because it feels like a thousand things but also kind of unique if you know what I mean and still with like a real like Japanese influence obviously but um yeah like we were talking before um I watched the dub version and part of what kept me well there are two parts that kept me going on the English language one one was Kirsten Dunst because I think she's great um and the other one is uh the actor who voices Gigi, um, who is what well, I can't remember what his actual name is, but um, he was on. He was one of the like um, recurring character voice actors on The Simpsons. So he did Troy McClure, um, and yeah. somebody else as well. Like he did a lot of the kind of. Oh yeah, uh, he got killed yeah, by his wife because uh, I looked him uh, up on Wikipedia, yeah. and he was in his forties, I think, because. I think she was his second wife and she seemed to have like trouble with alcohol and drugs and stuff so he broke like divorced her uh got married again and then she killed both of them i think or maybe just him yeah, yeah it was like this crazy like uh, like uh, you know tragic backstory um but it was, it was funny because the voice i know part of it's probably because of the like salem Sager, saber hagen you know Sabrina and when I say Sabrina I do not mean that fucking Netflix abomination that is like loosely based and I know that like there's not a whole lot of Archie comics in you know the 1990s most Joan Hart Sabrina the Teenage Witch but still I mean it's a perfect show as far as I'm concerned if we ignore the last season and other things which didn't age well but anyways um um also this is Pokemon like <laughs> it's it's basically like oh, the idea of going 13 years and leave uh, the even, homestead letter I remember I was like 12 and I was watch Pokemon and I had Pokemon cards and I had Pokemon beach tiles and I had Pokemon and everything um, I always remember that that never sat right with me the fact that they were just allowed to kind of go off you know with no parental supervision and everything was fine I was like I'd never be allowed to do that I think this is bullshit but um it, it was so funny because as soon like because She's not in her hometown for particularly long before she gets up and leaves. <laughs> and I love the concern on their faces. Cause it's like, oh, oh, and her dad like, but we were going to go camping. Oh, <laughs> it's like, not so bad for her. And she's like, nope, goodbye forever. And I love how it's like you just decide to go and then you fucking go. It's not like a specific time <laughs> or date or whatever. It's like, I'm 13. Uh, I want to go now. Bye. Yeah, what's funny about this is like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is quite slight, you know, like plot wise or I don't know if it's because we'd watched like The Wind Rises and uh, even some like Spirited Away or something that seemed like such like grander stories of like, you know, I think because the big journey in this, like physical journey, not just emotional journey, um, happens so early on at the start of the film. So it's kind of you kind of feel like she's going to get there and then go somewhere else or something but um uh i think i did think though as i was watching it i was like D i do wish that there were like more of her and her delivery business uh, <laughs> i was like if anything I, i'd want more of that i feel like there wasn't enough of that in this but um it's yeah because i was thinking about this again then when you were talking about like hangout movies and how how can things which have no like discernible plot stay with you afterwards and if it's like thematically or um the certain tone or something that they have so i watched almost all of this and then i was so tired i went to sleep and then the next day i watched the end of it uh, but i went back so i kind of double watched sort of the middle section and stuff and then afterwards i just kept thinking about it and like because he creates such a like warm whole world it's this perfect self-contained thing like it nearly feels as if if you got to the outskirts of the city you just hit a brick wall <laughs> you know <laughs> like it's almost entirely uninfluenced by the outside world so it's like as soon as she gets there it's like groundhog day or something it's also like i was trying to think of previous miyazaki movies that i've watched from different parts in his career and like for the movie that contains like a straight up witch it's the least like whimsical or like you know for a film about a witch there's very little magic in it <laughs> which i don't think is a bad thing because it makes her 
her like transformation or her growth so much more centered in like not even like realism or something I suppose of like trying to find herself and find her voice and, and, and so I didn't miss the whimsical nature of it because it's still obviously he's still got a lot of it's like you know there's a lot of flying in this um I also appreciated that the actual flying scenes feel quite perilous which is I think like you know like there's no as far as I can tell there's no restriction on the animation here but like it it adds to it particularly whenever she's like first coming in and when she first does that delivery and stuff it's like you feel you kind of you're like oh you're like kind of gripping the broom but um yeah it's there's something so progressive about this and like for something that's so kind of like calmly and gently like blows multiple holes in the Bechdel test <laughs> like because you know there's not just like a character who you know she just happens to be a girl she's practical she's strong she's off by herself she just has to like you know become the person she's going to be but she's already well on her way to becoming that person but then we also have this character who you know she's quite motherly she's looking after Kiki but at the same time has an inner life has a business you know you kind of you get a lot from everything she says and you know all of their interactions feel both protective but also quite like rich and stuff which i like you know especially whenever um annoying needy boy that needs to fuck off appears um <laughs> uh tomo yeah tomo. yeah he and you didn't he like annoyed tomo. me and i know in, a, in the end it's fine because he's nice and really he just wanted to make his flying machines and he's probably like the miyazaki standing and but at the same time he's really annoying at the start and she tells him to fuck off and he doesn't and that kind of annoyed me a little bit but he also really reminds me of tim 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 no tim 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 tim, tim. Like, tim, tim? <laughs> not not a character i grew up with at all just kind of like the, the like the the stripy t-shirt and stuff it's there's kind of similar um um i grew up reading the comics uh which in general are really good but at times rather problematic like tintin in the congo oh, <laughs> no. i think that the, the belgians should stay away from the congo altogether oh, um <laughs> well in fairness what year they're like 50s when when did tintin come out um, well, like it's uh, Tintin came out originally around the the fifties, I'd say. But, um, the a lot of the comics were kept being published. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally from nineteen twenty nine, and the last one is from nineteen seventy six. Yeah. It's not a progressive era. <laughs> Yeah, but Tintin in the Congo is in 1931, okay. so I suppose that it was not exactly the finest time for humanity, like the early 30s. For multiple reasons. Um. <clears throat> so, but like overall, you 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 did yes, like the movie. Yes. No, then. he just he was. Uh, I was just like, fuck off, leave her alone. And then, but I, I did appreciate it whenever like she's really sick, and uh, what do you call the woman who owns the bakery? Um, what is she actually called? Uh, it's like Ono, oh yeah, or it starts with a no. Yeah. Um, she's like, he wanted to come see you when you were sick, and Kiki's like, what? <laughs> like, but don't worry, I didn't let him. I was like, excellent. <laughs> Tell him to fuck off. Um, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I love the character of Gigi. Um, <laughs> the voice is fantastic. Like in 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 the dub version, like it's. It's, it's just it's he's so kind of like <laughs> sarcastic and like whenever she brings the uh the herring pie to the girl's house and your one's just like uh, uh, and like slams the door he's just like i cannot believe they're related <laughs> like it's, it's just <laughs> fantastic um also the whole bit with the dog <laughs> Oh yeah, that is so funny. Like, and, uh, he's just there and like, <laughs> Gigi's on the floor, like visibly sweating, and the dog just comes over and licks him, and it's just like, hmm. <laughs> he's a good dog. I was like, oh. Oh yeah, he sprung me yeah, out. Like, what a good boy. Um, yeah, I 
it's it's the way and i love that the I, and i love how the 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 kid tells the dog to close the door after himself and the dog does it it's just a, such it's a small so detail like, but i love so it like world weary or something just like mm. <laughs> you know like he he looks like uh, uh if richard chef was a dog the other like thing I kept thinking of when I was watching this was Wes Anderson I was like oh my god oh, yeah. does he owe Miyazaki so much <laughs> especially like the, the Grand Budapest Hotel like even is <laughs> there's just so much of that sort of like not even like faux European but like obviously Anderson known <laughs> for his world building and creation so uh, it's not. A, I don't think it's a knock on Wes Anderson to say that he could definitely have been very inspired, not just by this film, but there is something in this one in particular. I was like, that's so funny. Um, like, uh, uh, one of the reasons that I, I picked this movie, it was because of um, both my agreement with you about how the female character in um, The Wind Rises is treated, and how my defense was like this is really strange considering like Miyazaki's filmography and in particularly Kiki's Delivery Service because there there are a few named male characters but most of it is about like female friendship. I think that's why being a girl what's his name annoyed me up. so much because I was like you're taking up too much screen time for someone who is so fucking annoying. <laughs> I was like fuck off. I love that we haven't mentioned yet as well. Like one of my favorite characters in the movie is the the artist that lives oh in the God, little yeah. idyllic cottage in the woods. I love when she shows up. It's that that's the thing, is it? Like he, like she's like she's kind of rescued by her, but it's like friendships that rescue her, you know. And then in the end, she saves the boy. It's like people are like watching stuff like Frozen now, and they're like, "Wow, it's so progressive." It's like, yeah, what year is it? Um, Miyazaki's been doing this since Nobody the got the bitch. memo um, I think he forgot about it well, since yeah, I think he got a little bit distracted in, uh, <laughs> By older things Not that like, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember exactly what we What we said about that film But like I remember it bothering me But not like ruining the film either It was just like yeah. You know it was a little bit kind of But um that that movie does have Werner Herzog, it's which true. this doesn't, sadly. Um, it was a lovely thing to watch um, on a weekday as well, and just be like being tired. And I was kind of <laughs> I was appreciative of it being kind of like light and uh, not that it's. I don't actually have, no. I I think I retract that statement. I don't want to describe it as light because it, I don't feel like it's dealing with like. You know, like oh, it's not, it's not like set during World War Two or whatever. But that doesn't mean that the themes in it are not important or poignant. Um, and it did. I I did keep thinking about it, even though like I didn't find the music memorable necessarily. But at the time, it felt perfect. If you know what I mean, kind of in the way that The Wind Rises yeah. did, where it was just like. It's never, oh, yeah, like it's, it's never intrusive. You can't hum it, kind of thing. Yeah. It's the it's the amazing thing that is like you, I can never hum the the music by the composer. I think he did all the Miyazaki mm. um, filmography. He's like the John Williams to Miyazaki. Um, but I number one, I absolutely li- love writing to his music. Oh. It's so pleasant. Um, and number two, it's weird because it's music that I wouldn't be able to particularly hum or mm. describe to people, unlike something as thematic as um, John Williams is. But it's still melodic enough it's that it's memorable, <clears throat> that it's not like a fucking Hans Zimmer score, no. that it's just like somebody farting through <laughs> a, 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 like a synthesizer kind of oh. thing. What a ginormous douchebag as well. <laughs> he does not go But also that the music in this is instantly recognizable when you start hearing mm-hmm. it again. Like every time that I even though like perhaps instrumentation and mood all all of Miyazaki's movies kind of share the same DNA when it comes to the structure of the music. Mm. It's still uh recognizable for individual movies like Ponyo sounds like <laughs> Ponyo and and uh, Totoro like 
sounds like Totoro and Kiki sounds like Kiki and I think it's like uh, I think he uses a lot of lay motifs so uh, it grinds it grounds your understanding and uh, memory of the music to those characters mm. because his character base <coughs> kind of work uh, similar to what Howard Shore did in Lord of the Rings that it links the moments to the the events or the people mm. per se which is quite enjoyable but it feels so woven into the soundscape as well which i think is so important yeah. but like the two are so wedded together so they don't feel like it's it's such a like rich i don't know what you said earlier but it, it, like i was nodding in agreement that it's such a like it's just it's a rich experience it's the whole it's the visuals so combined with the the audio as well that makes it such a kind of a like I don't want to say well, like think, overwhelming experience, but that you feel completely drawn into his films, I think, and that's why they're so enjoyable and so memorable as well. It's like he is a master. Like there's no, there's no real debate there. I think so much of it is also uh, Miyazaki's approach to uh, to reality, which is somehow more real than reality itself, mm. because he's able to pinpoint on human behavior uh, stuff like in. Uh, when the rise is that uh, the the wife character goes to hold uh, the main character's hand while he's drawing something and smoking, and he passes the cigarette from one hand to the other to be able to hold her hand, mm. which is like it actually costs money to animate that. That if he was already smoking and the other hand, it's like you don't have to draw anymore, but. It's like in spirited away the the way that the the girl taps her shoes every time that she puts her on like a little thing that she does, mm. and so much of it is present in here as well. Even the way that Gigi moves and the way that like he um, he falls in love with this female cat and it's like oh I love that though. <laughs> oh and he when she can't speak to him. Oh. oh yeah because she's losing all the powers oh. and also like it kind of hints to the idea that each witch can only like uh, communicate their own particular cat yeah because she's the other cat's just a cat to her there's no yeah you know. so it's kind of like interesting that the bond that it becomes like much greater than anything in general it's and like they love also it's how like, yeah and I do like uh, the the way that even uh, even though she is pretty much like perfect, it doesn't feel that is effortless. Yeah. Like she wants to go to the party and not help the old lady to bake the cake, but she would feel too bad not to do it. Yeah. So then when she commits to it, it's like fuck it, I'm committing to it. Let's this do it the right to way. Be the best Let's get the pie. Yeah, in the in the old oven, and it's like the way. Also, I love how she shows the pie to the old lady. And the old lady is like, "Yeah, fuck it, it's done." <laughs> like, she's not gonna eat it anyway. A half of it is kind of burnt as well, which is such a small detail as well. And I love that. Uh, just to finish up in in this topic, that I love how every character seems to have an internal life. Yeah, like the old ladies friend that is obsessed with flying so she's just like fucking upset that the camera cuts away from the accident because she's like it's so exciting or whatever and then she's holding a broom making like sound noises like flying noises <laughs> fucking like shoom, shoom. <laughs> I thought look, it's an incredibly endearing movie, but yeah, like I said, like you you alluded to the the fact that he will approach the subject of this movie with the same heft as he does the the end of the world in fucking Princess Mononoke. Mm. It's just like growing up and finding your own way in the world is as important even as, as a girl like it is like a delivery like a small business run by a girl that is like in a way as meaningless and uh, uh, at the end of the day 
equally uh, unimportant as babysitting would be but because you're the person experiencing it it is the most important thing at that time mm-hmm. and it actually creates the growth that you have as a person because it's like responsibility getting your own little money so even when she's like spends all her money to begin with and then it's like oh we're only gonna have to eat pancakes kind of thing you know like uh, I don't know like I really like that uh, idea of dealing with it but without making it super over dramatic or self-important she doesn't have to save the world doesn't have to do anything else you know Mm, just has to save the annoying boy (laughs) yes (coughs) from certain death I don't know how like uh, a zeppelin can ever turn up and people can be like yay (laughs) like no nothing good can come of this yeah, like the fucking uh, uh, yeah, in the English bit, the only it, the, the a bit that made me laugh for all the wrong reasons is that the whoever decided to dub the movie actually fucking uh, alludes to the Hindenburg disaster because whenever uh, the the blimp is going away, he starts shouting, "Oh no, the humanity, the humanity!" Which is like what the radio. Uh, presenter that was like covering the Hindenburg the first time well the first time the only time <laughs> the Hindenburg didn't work in this fine. universe <laughs> but like it, it was quite like weird Jarring. that it, it yeah the, that's what the light that they decided to go with uh, even it's like a fictitious world so it's like why do you even bother but um, I do love uh, the the uh, again alluding to the uh, video essay that I mentioned before that how specific the designs of uh, Miyazaki's flying machines are Mm. that they all have like an internal logic because Miyazaki's father was an airplane manufacturer Mm. well isn't parts of the wind rises based on his father now yeah, parts of it are inspired <laughs> by his father. It's like it's comp- like he didn't design the Zero either. He just ran a factory during World War Two, mm. so like uh, they might have built zeros in that factory, but it wasn't he that yeah. designed the the plane. But in this case, the like I love the bicycle propeller thing. The uh, the ending, the, the end montage, like over the credits, is fabulous. Where she's flying along and he's like pedaling along and he's like taking off. It's oh, it's so nice. With all their shitty friends who are now friends. <laughs> like, yeah, like uh, <clears throat> like they they now it's, yeah, it's one of those like American high school kind of uh, uh, fucking apology or. or uh, cliche that is like oh yeah they're cool in the end because they see that I'm cool never mind that they were bullies for the, yeah, the whole time beforehand it is a bit weird I, I do like whenever they drake they drive up though and it's so mean girls it's like get in we're going yeah. shopping it's like get in yeah, we're be going like on the block Rachel McAdams in it. <laughs> Regina George um yeah so, like, I, I think, think maybe she... they could have been like I think of all the characters I feel like the sort of bitchy teens probably could have been slightly more developed they felt a little bit fluffy but, but also like I, I suppose whenever we're growing up we see bitchy teens exactly the same way as this movie does you know like the people that bullied me in school like uh, who were I they? just see them who were they? Away. <laughs> they know who they I are I want names they're all getting yeah, like, bombs. like Aria Stack is like I have a list that I repeat to myself before I go to sleep. Uh, They'll the never else. pay off. Yeah, why would you pay off storylines that you've been developing for multiple seasons? Um, so, like, I suppose we should move on to final judgments. Yes, yes. Um, so, what's your favorite thing about Kiki's delivery service? probably Miyazaki um (laughs) I think because it's so much him he directs produces it like uh writes the screenplay like it it, I obviously you know films and animations are the work of a very large amount of people and animators and everything but it's like 
it's so much his vision and so much these worlds that he creates that he kind of has to be barring yeah. that my female characters i think they're kiki's fantastic i think the relationships are great it's it's a warm fuzzy hug from one tomboy 13 year old who was just trying to find herself and just one of the boys to like her to another it's a uh, one of the questions I, I had for you actually is like uh uh do you wish you had seen this when you were 13 or so or do you think that you enjoyed it more because you have the experience of life and the nostalgia for being that 13 year old no I think I think yeah there, there was definitely a lack of characters like this like I'm trying to think of people who I thought were cool who like who were girl characters who were teenage girls like probably Christina Ricci and Casper I thought she was cool you know even though when you watch it now it's kind of like yeah she's kind of spunky but in the end it's kind of all about boys but like yeah, I don't I have so few examples of it that it's kind of sad so I don't think watching this as a 13 year old would have done me any harm whatsoever considering that most of my heroes at the time were like I wasn't even really into that many like female fronted bands like barring maybe like the yeah yeah yeahs and stuff like so much of it was just like you know worship and adulation of various men be they musicians yeah. be they characters and things be they my age or significantly older <laughs> in the case of someone like billy Joe armstrong who i would have like laying on the road and died for um he's not aging well um but yeah no all i can say is yes and if i had a 13 year old girl i would 100 percent like god the movies i would make that child watch <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's like I don't think that like you know all oh, my parents failed or something by not knowing who Miyazaki was and showing me this you know I think that we you know we would have read a lot of like Enid Blyton books and obviously Enid Blyton is a bit <laughs> well um, but at the same time the thing about those books were say for like the famous five of the secret seven it was boys and girls and yes they were very gender specific and stuff but at the same time it was a whole gang together they all went on the mad adventures and stuff and for me i never felt as if i couldn't do things because like when i was that age particularly because i was a girl because i was always like you know tall and um vaguely athletic and until i got very lazy <laughs> Yeah, and I suppose it's uh, one of the great things about this movie is uh, that it's the fact that only women can be witches. They're yeah. like witches. They're not wizards kind of thing. Yeah. So it, it creates like, a, in a way, a, a societal approach to witches that it's like they're magical, but also they're completely... It's normal. They cannot be separated. Yeah, but they also cannot be separated from the fact that they're women. Mm. That it's not something that can be shared with another mm. like a man can't come over and take over the witch sect or whatever yeah and i do quite appreciate also the fact that they're normalized enough that you wouldn't freak out by seeing somebody flying mm. but also that they're rare enough that oh, wow. a town that size they're going oh there hasn't been a witch here in ages mm. and also i like how open people are like that there's no you know, the cop tries to stop her because he's just like very by the book kind of cop. <laughs> yeah. It's not that he's like xenophobic against witches per se, you know, the <laughs> which would be like a very different movie, I imagine. You but... know that there's like groups of people out there somewhere in some sort of incel type situation who are like, you know, convince themselves that women are starting to like, like liberate by becoming witches and, you know, casting yeah. spells. They're uh, creating a covenant to destroy the world. Well, we gotta go somehow. Let's hope it's in a place of witchy glory. Uh, what was your favorite thing? Uh, again, like uh, uh, I mentioned before, I think it's the sound design. Like it's something that I'm absolutely obsessed when it comes to Miyazaki's movies. Like his visuals are just incredible, and also generally speaking, his characterization is great, both in the way that characters move each character has its own way of moving and interacting with the world even the way that he makes the the surrogate mother 
character incredibly pregnant and she feels incredibly pregnant mm. you know what i mean it's not like there's movies that are like life and blood like live action movies that the characters are supposed to be pregnant and they just mm. put like a pillow underneath <laughs> the fucking uh, shirt and it doesn't feel as real as this lady it's is. It's a very physical uh, thing being pregnant like and she looks at but in, in the way she holds herself and everything like it's really... Uh, I do like also how uh, in the background her husband is like he's like you know the the stoic quiet guy but with a heart of gold yeah. at the same time and uh, he even sh- like <laughs> tries to show off in front of Gigi like uh, spitting the, the dose uh, I have to say also with most Miyazaki uh, the way that he shoots food Aww. I wish that like food was actually like cartoon Aww. like those breads look oh, amazing like, you can uh, smell it though that's the thing it's like it's wafting out of your screen <laughs> mm, bread Uh, but yeah like the the sound design i think it is it's always because it's so unique to his movies Mm. because even the other studio ghibli movies that i really like like uh, i really liked only yesterday the isao takahata movie that uh, was made in 1990 as well um around then but it only got released in the west like three years ago Mm. and uh, like daisy Ridley did the voice for the oh. female character but it's like really interesting concept that is like a, a, a woman turning 30 and going back to where she spent her summers and remembering the childhood in the countryside mm. coming from Tokyo and there's this whole idea how half of the things there if the memory wasn't entirely vibrant things don't get drawn like it's black oh. it's white or rather because it's like it's just what she remembered so like if she remembers something very specific about a scene the rest of the scene there like it's just not being produced kind of thing uh but that movie doesn't <coughs> have the same sound effects as oh. Miyazaki's has but i don't think in a, it's necessary for every movie to have it because it's part of the uh the texture that is completely mm. unique to his movies. Yeah, um, it's not going to work for everything. It's just part of his tools that he yeah. uses that comp- like that complements everything else he does. But it, that I think that's what makes it so unique, like his films, because even though like how many movies has he made and he follows similar themes a lot of the time, like he uses the same composer, but they all feel special. You know, like yeah. in their own kind of way, because they're so different to anything else. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, like it's uh, uh, one of those things that it is. Uh, they, uh, also, I love how there's no like black and white in his movies. There, like even the movie, like the first time that I watched Princess Mononoke, I was quite confused because every character is both good and bad mm. and it's like who's the bad guy in this movie <laughs> like <laughs> at the end of the movie I was trying to figure out who to root for when the movie's just like yeah you can't root for anybody but at the same time this movie set up in the same world that people are imperfect and uh, might not be able to succeed and it's like a very small scale kind of but in the end is that most people just try to do what they think is the right thing to do Mm. except if you're being shitty about your grandmother baking your pies well (laughs) she'll get her comeuppance in the end Um, Uh, what was your least favorite thing annoying weedy boy she doesn't, she doesn't want to talk to you leave her alone I don't like how the movie lets him away with being so annoying at the start it's like she didn't show any interest in you leave her alone but at the same time I think that the, the relationship is weirdly uh, non-romantic as well but weirdly in a good way Yeah. I don't know if, the, if it is more like a, a friendship thing in the end because yeah, I, it's only at the beginning like it he redeems himself he you know like the fact of what like really he just wants to show her his flying bike 
and he just wants to impress her so much by like going up the hill and everything and like the man laughing at them as they're going up the hill um because i don't think he's a bad character it was just like go away <laughs> you know but uh i mean in saying that like that's such a small thing and that there's nothing else i can think of that is like you know I, I did like as well when he goes to pick her up and whenever it's raining he decides to stand outside because he's too shy to stand inside like uh, just making small talk with Burly the really Baker. quiet guy yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean wouldn't you be intimidated as well <laughs> um, what was your least favorite thing uh, I don't know like uh, probably Probably what you said about how the 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 mean girls don't have exactly the same yeah. depth as the other characters. They're almost like from a different movie sometimes. It's a little bit. That actually, there we go. That's the nineteen eighties, but yeah, <laughs> it's like fucking. You expecting John Cusack to pop out of like any corner, like yeah, or Winona Ryder. But yeah, why Nona? Hello, Winona. Um, I did load that when I used to get the uh, the five twelve streetcar. I think, and there's like next stop, Winona Drive. <laughs> like, Hello, Winona. Um, because she says it in such a like odd, pleasant female voice as well. Um, any final closing comments? Um, I'm very glad that you enjoyed it. It's one of those things that. Uh, I'd be already like nervous about talking mm. about it uh, if you might not f- like like I, I figured that you would because I know your your taste to a certain extent sometimes you do surprise me <laughs> with with particular takes but in this case I was expect because I know objectively that this is a really good movie yeah. but at the same time it's when you have a pick that you just hold off for so long you're just hoping you that you didn't, didn't like it would be such a big anti-climax if you episodes? had hated it well like it was the second episode yeah. that we did the wind rises <laughs> and we're on so. like what 134 now <laughs> yeah so it's 133 <laughs> picks that I didn't that went by uh, we got there I'm a end. much older man than I was when I had the idea to pick this movie and like and initially <laughs> as well it's the I was conflicted between picking uh, The Wind Rises and or this but I suppose that The Wind Rises for all its flaws is also perhaps as a movie more interesting uh, yeah, not to would have been better for us then because we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> yeah so like... we still only managed to talk for uh, for like 30 minutes <laughs> about that movie so oh yeah um, this was pre digital radio so we had yeah. no time restraint or no like <laughs> no real method I think we may have still been reading out our manifesto at that point as well yeah. <laughs> which you can see in the zine that I produced for us um, which I, for some reason I held on to it of course um, so yeah that was the I was about to say the one rises that <laughs> was Kiki's delivery where could they find us Ricardo? They can find us on Dublin Digital Radio uh, every second Monday. Yes, I'll clarify um, that in the social media posts. Uh, you can find us on the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud on Twitter at the Rec Game, the Recommendation Game on Facebook, and our email is the Recommendation Game at gmail.com. Very nice. So, Orla, next week is your pick. It is. What are you picking for us to watch and then discuss <laughs> uh, although we will not be meeting um, <laughs> we haven't done a Canadian film in a while so uh, I'm picking Matt Johnson's The Dirties from 2013 what was the last Canadian movie was it the the oh, one with Young Home there was Sweet Hereafter uh, yeah what was it the one you said The Sweet Hereafter the one with Young Home there's another one though is there not is this really our second Canadian film? I think so. Yoza, although I'm saying 99% of the other ones were shot in Canada. So. Um, Is Yoza a Canadian thing that you've picked up? No, maybe. I don't know. I have started saying golly an awful lot. Oh, golly, no. <laughs> I said golly gosh the other day and I was like, oh, yeah, Canadians are weird. They say mum. My mum. I'm like, whoa. Jeez. 
is still on your money. Uh, right. <laughs> um, well, until uh, next week, um, I was Horna Marinas. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week.